Good morning again. I'm Brandon Barrett, lead pastor here at Grace Covenant. If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We are glad that you're here. And you'll find, as we find this morning, we're back in the series in Mark. As we're finishing up Mark, as we're headed towards Easter and headed towards the end of Mark with the resurrection of Jesus. And this morning we come in uh, Mark chapter 14, beginning in in, uh, verse 26. We'll be skipping around a little bit in this chapter. You'll find that uh, if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 851 of that Bible. As we get ready to come and to read God's Word, let's first come to Him, the author of this Word, and ask for Him to do His work in us. So let's come and pray together. Father, we do come and ask exactly that, that You would use this Word which is from You to do Your work of uh, change in us, to do Your work of conviction where necessary and comfort where needed. You would use it to mold and shape us more and more as we seek to know you and be more like your son Christ who has come for us. So give us ears to hear now, eyes to see, and hearts uh, that are responsive to you, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 14, beginning at verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And skipping ahead to verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled away. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? 
And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and again said, uh, and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. After a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. As we began last week looking at Jesus' prayer in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we started talking about what is happening with Jesus as he is entering into his passion, as he is uh, coming in down the road that will now lead ultimately to the cross. We saw that last week in the prayer of the king as he comes and prays to God and asks if there's any way that God would, would change his plan, would change his will. Because as he, on this night before that he, he is put to death, he is in agony. Not, not simply because of the physical pain that is ahead for him, but even more because of the weight of what he is doing as he is going to take on his own shoulders the sins of the world. As he is going to prepare to tip back the cup of God's wrath. And drink it himself. See, he begins to enter into his passion. Next week we will see Christ as he comes to the cross. And as he is abandoned by his father. But here in our text this morning, between these two ends, we see Jesus the king being abandoned by his own people. See, uh, each of these steps in Jesus' journey to the cross are pointing us to the ultimate meaning of Good Friday and of Easter. Because here we have Jesus, the God-man, going through the very heart of death and hell to set us free. To take away the curse, to pay the penalty for our sin, to reconcile us to God. And to win for us what the Jesus Storybook Bible calls God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. See, Jesus is going through those steps for us. And here, as he is abandoned by his friends, we, we see Isaiah 53, verse, verse 3 being fulfilled. Here's what Isaiah said as he spoke of the servant of the Lord who is to come. The servant of the Lord who was Jesus. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he was as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That is where we find Jesus in our passage this morning. So we're simply going to see here that Jesus the King is abandoned by His own people. He's abandoned by His own people. In Mark chapter 15, as He's handed over to the Romans, we're going to see that He's abandoned by the Gentiles, by those who are not His people. But here we see even by His own, He is abandoned. And we see Him abandoned in two ways. First, by His enemies, as you might expect. But we also see Jesus Abandoned by his friends. First his enemies. His enemies among his own people. And we see this represented most fully uh, and most clearly in, in one man. We see him being abandoned by Judas. Remember Judas, he's 
shown up in the last few weeks as we've been going through these chapters. It is, it is Judas that has left Jesus and left Jesus' people and gone in search of the authorities who have, we've already learned, want to put Jesus to death. Judas comes and says, I can hand him over to you. I can hand him over to you sometime where he's not going to cause any trouble, where it's not in front of the crowds, where you will be able to do it nice and quietly. I will hand him over to you and you will hand over to me uh, a payment and reward. And they set up a deal. He's promised silver for his services. And so he leads here uh, a band of soldiers and a mob out to capture Jesus. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It is, it's night. And Judas has been there many times with Jesus and the disciples before. He knows where to go. And as he leads this crowd in the dark with their few torches to light the way, he can see beyond that to this group of men. And he who knows Jesus so well recognizes him in the shadows and says, There he is, follow me. And he comes up and he gives Jesus a kiss. And he says, Rabbi, teacher. This is where we get the expression, the kiss of death. It's what Judas gives to his former master, Jesus. And as Jesus is abandoned by this enemy who was once a friend, one of the things that stands out here and is so striking about this is that after all of this time with Jesus, Judas still does not understand who Jesus really is. And, and that's true at many levels. He doesn't understand Jesus is the true Messiah, but he doesn't even understand the character of who Jesus is and how Jesus is going about this mission that he has. Because notice what Judas says to the, the soldiers and the people in this mob. He says, look, I'm going to go give him a kiss, and then you, you seize him. We'll take clubs and swords, and we'll be able to haul him away. And when Judas comes and does this, uh, Jesus then looks at him and he says, you know what? What are you doing coming against me with clubs and swords? You've seen me every day in the temple teaching. Here you are in the darkness. In other words, here you are. You've come and captured me as if I was some sort of robber, as if I was some sort of insurrectionist. That's the very kind of king I am not. That's the very kind of kingdom that I am not bringing, one that comes by political revolt, one that's going to end in the destruction of the people, one like maybe even Judas wished he would bring, one the zealots wished he would bring to throw off Rome. Instead, he says, no, that is not the kind of kingdom that I am bringing. And after all these years, Judas still didn't know that. He didn't know that he didn't have to bring clubs and didn't have to bring a sword, that Jesus was not going to put up that kind of fight. Here he is abandoned by him, Judas, who should have known him so well, becoming an enemy and leading him into the midst of other enemies who should have known him so well at this point. The leaders of the people, the ones who have been plotting against Jesus for so long. He's brought in before the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the people. Verses 53 on through 65, we see a glimpse of his, his trial before the religious authorities. And he's on trial there because, as we've seen in the past few weeks, he came critiquing the temple, critiquing the public worship of Israel. And they want him dead. And they, they begin to build a case against Jesus, part of which we see here. The other part comes in the next chapter. But they're, they're basically saying that Jesus is guilty of two things. They're going to say to Rome, the ones who have the power to actually sentence Jesus to death, we're going to see next week, that they... Um, they're setting him up as a claimant to be king, one who would be rival to Caesar, one that Rome cannot stand to leave alive. But the argument they bring here for Jesus' 
own people, they come and say that he is guilty of blasphemy, that he is guilty of saying something about God that is not true, that he comes claiming that he is the Messiah, that he is the one, the king who is to come. Now, technically, that wasn't actually blasphemy to say that. You could be right or you could be wrong. But they bring this extra weight of he is speaking against God. They bring these false charges about what he said against the temple. They come wanting to condemn him on these religious charges that are so serious. And when they confront him with it directly, when they turn to him and say, you know, Jesus, what is it that you say? In one sense, rather than Jesus, certainly he doesn't backpedal. He doesn't try to... He doesn't try to correct their mistaken testimony. Instead, what he does is he turns the heat up in the interrogation that much more. He says, I am the one that you're looking for. He says, I am the one spoken of in Daniel, the one, the son of man who is going to come on the very clouds of heaven. I'm going to come with the very divine power of God. I am. And the priest rips his garment. In the Old Testament, there were, there were at least two different times when someone would, as a public display, rip their garments. One is when they wanted to make a public display of repentance and of change. And that's what the chief priest could have done here as he is confronted with God in the flesh. But instead, he rends his garments for the other reason as he hears what he takes to be blasphemy, to be words against God as he has his opportunity before God himself and misses it and turns away and condemns instead. He tears his garments. The high priest, those who are in leadership who should have recognized Jesus just as Judas, his very own people, abandoning Jesus here on the night before his death. That would be bad enough. And it would be weighty enough But it's not all that we see in this passage. We see Jesus being abandoned not only by his enemies. We see him being abandoned by his friends as well. Because what happens when Judas shows up? And when the crowd, the mob, shows up to capture Jesus? They flee. They run away. All of them. We see it in verse 50. That all the disciples scatter into the darkness and away from their Lord Jesus. And I think about what that means for a minute. Those disciples who included James and John and Andrew, three of the four first disciples called by Jesus as they heard Jesus come walking along the Sea of Galilee, along the shore as they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus called out to him and he said, Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they, they did the unthinkable. They, they dropped their nets, their livelihood, their very lives to follow this Jesus. And they've spent three years with him, learning just who he is. And now, in a moment, they're scattered in the dark. In this crowd is Matthew, the tax collector. And as a tax collector, he was a collaborator with Rome. He was an outcast from his own people. And yet Jesus came at his very tax booth, called him out, said, follow me, and brought him back into the community of God's people. In fact, straight into the community of God's renewed people. He found a place again, a home again, and he had found his Lord Jesus. And he scatters into the dark. Verse 51, there's this mysterious disciple uh, and whom some think might be the author, Mark himself, not one of the twelve, but one of the others associated with Jesus. Maybe, we don't know. But we get this mysterious picture of this uh, young man who was a follower of Jesus in this just one garment who is 
you can, the picture here, he, he's being grabbed, he's being seized, and he, he twists and he turns and he slips out of his clothes and off he goes running into the darkness, naked. Now, I think that's supposed to remind us of something. Uh, another garden at the very beginning of the Bible where people abandoned their God also, in fact, for the first time, and where they were left naked and hiding and covered in shame. You see, that's what's happening to the disciples, and we see a picture of it with this one, losing even their clothes, exposed, shameful, and hiding. That's what's happened here again to Jesus' closest friends. That would be bad enough. But being abandoned by his friends meant that he also was abandoned by the one who is his closest friend, by Peter. This is Peter who, in the beginning of our passage here, he, he, he's the one who gives this brash assurance to Jesus of his faithfulness. Remember, Jesus begins this quoting uh, Zechariah when he says that the, the shepherd is going to be struck and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is, in fact, giving them a prophecy of, about what it, of, of what is about to happen. Here is what we are on the verge of. I am going to be captured and you will be scattered. And Peter says to him, I will not abandon you. Even if everybody else around here abandons you, I will not. I mean, you can hear Peter uh, upholding his own faithfulness and casting his own friends under the bus, right? These guys over here, they'll run away, but not me. And then Jesus, a second time, he looks at Peter and he says, No, 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 Peter. Before this night is over, before the rooster crows twice, the very beginning of the morning, you will deny me three times. And again, Peter says, no, 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 even if I have to die, I will not abandon you. And to hear what Peter is doing, on the one hand, he is proclaiming his faithfulness to Jesus. And even as he does that, he's looking Jesus in the eye and saying, you are wrong. I don't believe you. This is not going to go the way you say, Jesus. It's going to go the way I say. And I will remain faithful. Peter and his brash assurance of his faithfulness is scattered with the rest of them into the night. But it gets worse. It says that Peter follows in the darkness. And as Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin, the leaders of God's people, uh, Peter uh, comes into the outer circle of where the fires are outside. He begins to warm himself where the guards and the servants are. And there he is asked a series of questions. And to, to see this rightly, you need to see two scenes going on at the very same time. On the one hand, you've got Peter out here speaking to the people who are gathered around the fire. And at the very same time, you have Jesus inside speaking to and being spoken to by the people who hold Jesus' life in their hands. And at the very moment when you know, Jesus is being asked, is this true? Is this really who you are? And he says, I am and speaks truth. So he does that as he takes this next step in his faithfulness to following God's leading, this faithfulness that will lead him to death. At the very same time, Peter is also being grilled, but not by the high priest, but by a servant girl. Comes out and says, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of his followers? No, 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 not me. No, I'm not. Moves over. She comes back a little later. Are you sure? Are you sure we didn't see you with him? No. And later the bystanders look at him and say, Surely you're with him. You're a Galilean. We can tell by your accent. Surely you must know this Jesus. And it says that he begins to call down curses on himself. Peter's giving a response that, that, that would have been something like this. Um, 
God forbid that I would lie. Or would, would God strike me down if what I am saying is a lie to you? I do not know him. And at that moment of this most extreme denial, as he turns away from Jesus, Jesus is inside continuing to turn towards his disciples and towards the will of God for his life. And then Peter hears it. The rooster for the second time. And then he remembers Jesus' words. And he breaks down and he weeps. Now, what if the story had ended here? What if Jesus, hearing that denial coming through the window, turns around and says, wait, I want to change my story. I'm not who you think I am. What if he had seen the very ones he was dying for had chosen to turn away from the mission that God had given him? Well, we wouldn't know this story. We wouldn't be reading this. No one would know anything about Jesus except maybe a few scholars of ancient history that this would have all passed into the dust. But as we know, that wasn't the end of the story. As Jesus is abandoned both by his enemies and, his, and by his friends, he does not abandon them. And he does not abandon us. Now think for a minute about how remarkable it is that the Gospels even share this story with us. Because think about how the disciples look at this very moment. We are seeing them at the height of their failure and at the height of their shame. And most significantly, we see that with Peter. Peter, who was to go on and become the head uh, and first leader of Christ's church in Jerusalem. Peter, whom the audience of the Gospel of Mark would have known about. And the other disciples. Because when Mark is written, the disciples have become the leaders of the church. You see, it didn't do Mark or any of the other gospel writers any favors to go to the world and say, let me tell you about the leaders of this worldwide movement of God on earth. They're the very people who have forsaken their leader, who turned away from Jesus and called down curses on their own heads. Even more then than for us. Uh, they lived in a culture that was an honor-shame culture, and you were all, always either gaining honor or losing it and being exposed to shame. And honor came by faithfulness, by adherence to duty, uh, by courage, and shame comes by failure. They are heaping shame upon themselves. And Mark tells us the story. Why? Well, I think at least two reasons. One, simply this. Because it's true. And it really happened. And Mark had every reason in the world not to tell us about it. But he does. He tells the truth. And even that speaks to the authenticity of the gospel. Because there is, there's... Would have been no good reason for Mark's first hearers to include this story. It would have only made them wince rather than be drawn to this gospel that they proclaim. But the second reason, I think, is that as we dig into it, it, it really does expose something that is vital to the gospel message. And it's simply this, that shame does not have the final word in the lives of the disciples. And shame does not have the final word in the, life, in the lives of Jesus' disciples, his followers, now. doesn't have the final word in our lives. You see, in the midst of their very failure, when Jesus sees them at their very worst, he does not abandon them and he does not abandon us.
In fact, Jesus has come to this moment and beyond knowing exactly what is going to happen. Remember what he said at the very beginning of our passage. They will strike the shepherd and all the sheep will be scattered. They are scandalized. They are amazed and surprised. Peter is stripped off his high horse and cannot believe what he has done, but he has done only and exactly what Jesus knew would happen. You see, he went into this with his eyes wide open. Why? Because Jesus is faithful where we are faithless. Peter bringing down curses on his head. May I be cursed if I am not telling you the truth. Well, there are curses in this passage. And curses that we will see in the two weeks to come. Curses that come down, ultimately, not on the head of Peter, however, the one who invoked them, but curses that come down instead on the head of another, on the head of Jesus, who is faithful where we have been faithless. Paul, in Galatians 3, uh, quotes Deuteronomy and what it has to say about someone who is hanged on a cross. He says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You see, Christ, in His crucifixion, takes on the very curse of God in order that the curse might be broken and we might be set free. And that's what happens for Peter. Because Peter has denied Jesus three times. But we read in other gospel accounts, as that was not the end of the following of Jesus for Peter, and it was not the end of of Peter's relationship with Jesus. Because after Jesus' resurrection, he meets Peter again on another shore of the sea as they are fishing. And he pulls him aside, and he tells him three times, Peter, feed my sheep. Care for my lambs. And you can imagine with each of those three repetitions, you you can just hear... The gong as it sounds again and again, reminding Peter of two things, of his failure, of his shame, which he has not for one moment forgotten, but at the same time, hearing a word of hope and calling that rings louder than the shame, Peter, you feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter, I'm not done with you. You have not been cast out. You are going to be a part of this ministry. You are a part of this family. You are mine. And my affirmations and my sealing on you is stronger than your denials. And the healing and the grace of the cross has the power to forgive you, to wipe away your wrongs, and to bring to light and to heal the very shame that you feel. Jesus comes and brings him back in. Because he came to set us free. And this faithful Jesus is the one who sets us free as well. Who comes and frees us to trust Jesus in spite of our own records of failure. Who frees us to follow Jesus when we Like Jesus even, ourselves are rejected and abandoned by others. We follow a Jesus who knows exactly what that is like. 
And it frees us to come now with a new sense of freedom and gratitude to live in service to our King who took the curse for us. Who took the curses that we would even speak ourselves. Took the penalty on Himself. Took away the guilt. Took away the shame. That we might come into the light and be set free. See, this is the Jesus that we look to at Easter and all year long. So this week and the next couple weeks as we approach Easter, and as we take time to slow down and look at different aspects of what it is that He has done for us, may that lead us into greater freedom and greater joy. Even this morning as we look and see that Jesus was abandoned by His own people, enemies and friends alike, may we be reminded that there, as there was room for them, there is room for us. His grace was faithful to them. And it is faithful to us as well. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gift of your Son. And Jesus, we cry out to you and say thank you. That you do not leave us in our guilt and do not leave us in our shame. That you do not measure us by the yardstick of our performance. But instead, that you bring us home by virtue of your love and work for us. You have come to rescue us, people who needed rescuing. So we give you thanks. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. And we ask this in your name. Amen.